Hi everyone, this is Rodney Cole. In today's episode, we're talking with Melbourne-based psychotherapist and relationship counsellor, Carol Ann Allen. Check it out. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. Welcome, Caroline. Well, thank you very much, Rodney. Loving Bravely. Tell me a little bit more about what does loving bravely look and feel like? In a word, I would say loving bravely looks messy, right? Because it's a bit like a workshop space, you know, and um, workshops, if you're really doing the work, you're making a mess in order to actually carry forward what you want to what you want to accomplish so it doesn't look like one of those really modern minimalist houses where everything's clean and tidy and organized and it looks peaceful and serene no and it doesn't look like those photographs those great placards that estate agents put in front of um, properties for sale you know where they've brought in a, a stager to make everything perfect and it all looks wonderful, except you can't live there because as soon as you start living there, you're starting to mess it up. So to me, Loving Bravely looks like there are actual living people there. And living individual lives and then the life of them as a couple, as a unit, as a team. And all the complexity that goes into creating a team out mm. of individuals, yes. Mm. Just before we came in here, you talked about therapists being in the business of freedom. And I'm curious about where freedom or what role freedom plays in loving bravely. Oh, that's a lovely question. I think of my work as about creating the space for freedom. And we might think of ourselves as being free and able to make the choices in our lives. But it's so interesting how much conformity and instructions from the outside we internalize and how much we think that our choices in life are very much constrained by um, what other people think on the outside and what we believe is possible for ourselves that we've taken in on the inside. So bravery, in a way, to me, is really in, a, in quite a radical way about, about freedom, about holding on to a mind of your own, about taking the risk to move towards uncertainty and complexity without necessarily knowing where that's going to take you, rather than trying to just replicate something that's familiar to you, something that you already have tried and tested and you know works for you. It's a little bit like in conversations when we are not really listening to what someone else is saying, we're busy composing what it is that we're going to say so that we have the safety of already knowing 
what we're going to say, rather than being in a more spontaneous place, which allows for two people to truly be listening to each other. But actually, you don't really know what you're going to say and that that's okay. So it's actually having that kind of freedom for yourself to relationally step into open spaces with people. And that's the space of creativity rather than repetition and conformity. I'm thinking of those wonderful moments when a friend, a family member, a colleague or partner says something that is, it often feels a bit shocking at first because you suddenly realise that you had this person maybe in your eyes and mine mapped out or worked out and then something comes left of centre and you think, I really don't know you at all. One of those whoa moments. Shock in a good way, Uh, like delight, uh, sudden interest or wow, that's really radical. I would never have thought that, you know, you were into that or do that. So it sounds like very present moment experiences. Absolutely. And isn't that gorgeous to think that um, there's so much more to know? Yes. Yes. And in that so much more includes the qualities of experience that a partner can have because you're there because of what the two of you do together, right? To think that it's already complete, that you already know, is actually to foreclose the opportunity of growth and development that two people offer each other. Mm. And again, that space of growth and development is a wonderfully messy space. You're a relationships counsellor and a Melbourne-based psychotherapist. You have been for quite some time. Do you think that a lot of couples want to get to know each other to that level? I think that when we are apprehensive about taking something further, it's because we experience ourselves stepping beyond the comfort zone or the terrain of what we think is safe. It's interesting about couples, you know, we have Couples are very much drawn to the differences in the other person. They're opportunities. We don't necessarily see it so much that way, but we're attracted to what is different about someone, what is unique about someone, and we draw that in. And over time, what I find is that couples bring in to therapy are the problems that those very differences that they were drawn to create in the relationship. And here's why, because I think that there's another level that's operating in attraction, and that is we are drawn to people who actually are gonna challenge us to grow or to change or to do the thing that we know that we need to do for ourselves, but we can't do it alone. So, this person actually comes in with those qualities, and at first that's really very exciting, but because they are not what we're used to, it starts to become tense and and friction and difficult because we are challenged to be changed and to grow and to develop in just that way. Mm. When someone comes into therapy, Oftentimes, one of the first things 
that they will share with you is how they know they need to change, what they know they need to do, what they want to do, what they long to do. What they imagine life will look like when that change is made. Yes. Hmm. And then starts this lovely dance where um, folks will do everything that they can to forget that that's what they want. And because if, if you move towards that, actually you're, it's frightening. Hmm. And that's getting back to the bravery and the courage to actually stay with the, um, stay with the uncertainty, stay with the feeling of being unfamiliar with yourself. You said yesterday about staying safe in the presence of fear. And I thought that was a really useful visual to sit with and to acknowledge and to work out both how can I stay safe, but also open to the possibilities. Because to me, fear and excitement are very kind of on the same plane almost. It's just a matter of allowing oneself to, to be excited that's right. That's right. And, you know, we don't always know that we're frightened. No. It's, it's so visceral. It's so... Immediate. Hardwired. Mm. And what is also hardwired in us is our reaction to that. And we have these instinctive... It look, not instinctive in a species sense, but instinctive in the sense that we have developed because of our own very particular personal histories ways of dealing with that fear, ways of, 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 of um, warding it off or easing it. And so when we are frightened, when something, something triggers us in, in someone else or a, a, a situation, we reactively go towards those behaviors and those responses, and we bypass fear. One of the things that I have noticed a lot in Australia, I'll say not that it doesn't exist in the States by any means, but I've noticed it very much here that anger is very available as a reaction. And oftentimes when I see it playing out and somebody getting king punched or just having a really strong anger reaction to things, it's a reaction to fear but it's bypassing. Fear kind of comes and goes so in, a, in a nanosecond, and it's replaced by protective anger in some way, kind of that lashing out. And so some of, what the, some of the freedom space that, that I try to create in my work is, is a space that sort of opens up a space between fear and between reaction to sort of recognize where you are and actually have some choices about where you would like to go with that. Very early on in my therapy or counselling career, I had a wonderful supervisor who used to talk about couples and his focus would often be on, so what does partner A, what are their needs? And what are partner B's needs? And now in our polyamorous world, maybe partners C and D as well. And then something quite magical he said then I would have partner A and B both talk about what they think partner C which is 
in his labelling the relationship itself, what the relationship's needs are. Do you work in that same kind of philosophy of getting both of them to look at individually what their needs are and then also what the relationship might also need? That's a lovely model and and I have for myself a model that includes three as Mm. well in that I see my client as the relationship. And so I am attending to what is happening for people, what they're each bringing, how they're each impacting on the relationship and start to talk about those kinds of contributions in that way of is this, how does this impact the Mm -hmm. relationship? Now, that's not just a position of I'm trying to keep these people together and keep this relationship going as it is. Oftentimes, that means I am the one who is is um, holding the aspiration that this relationship can get better. Whether the people stay together or not, the relationship can still be improved mm. and can deepen. What I really am hearing is loving bravely is all about freedom, space, um, excitement, joy, satisfaction, curiosity. And I'm thinking of the American and Belgium-based therapist Esther Perel, who talks about you want to be in a relationship with a partner that goes out and becomes the best person the best version of themselves and so you see that partner coming home from whether it's them singing at a concert or building something or they've done a cooking class and they come home radiant joyful happy excited that kind of individual pursuit of what i'm good at what i like doing is really really important in relationships And I'm getting the sense that loving bravely is very much like going out and doing what you need to do and bringing that joy and that excitement back in. Oh, that's a lovely description, yes. (laughs) And very often in relationships, the outside is threatening. Yes, that's very true. And that may be based on a template that someone has from their own experience that someone has gone out on the outside and then they've disappeared or they've gone away or the the fear that the outside is so much better than themselves. Hmm. So what kind of bravery and courage it takes to actually value the outside? Yes. And what kind of relational um, sharing might be possible for a recognition that what is brought back in from the outside is actually an enhancement and actually adds to the relationship. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful country and western song in the I States. love country and western music. Hit me. The t- I know the title. I don't know right. the song. The title of the song is How Can I Miss You If You Don't Go Away? How interesting. Have you heard that one? No, I haven't, but it it makes perfect sense. The title alone, um, How Do I Miss You If You Won't Leave? And creating what Esther would talk about, the longing, um, the passion. That's right. To see that person in their 
glory, if you like, and allowing the kind of reignition of passion and excitement. And that's the reason why I fell in love with you in the first place. And when I fell in love with you in the first place, you were a stranger. And it was that encounter. That was that first encounter from the outside coming in. And when we set up prohibitions in all kinds of ways to make it unacceptable to have an outside, we actually dull down incredible resources of excitement and regeneration and renewal mm. and and the frisson that you experienced in the beginning because this person wasn't known to you. And they all seemed so shiny and new and exciting and... Different Different. from you. Yes. That's right. Yes. And so it's the loving bravely is how do we how do we hold on to the value of those differences between us and see them as additive and generative rather than threatening. How can I miss you when you won't go away? Keep telling you day after day. But you won't listen, you always stay and stay. And I miss you and you won't go away. Check it out. So we've talked about loving bravely, not being neat or ordered necessarily at the beginning of this podcast. So I'm thinking about what support might somebody might need to love bravely. What support a couple might need to take that step to be real with each other. Well, one of the things that we talked about in um, in the talk, courageous, courageous, cons- courageous conversations, is actually attending to the how we live together and how we communicate with each other, and to recognize that actually the texture of how we're communicating with each other, which includes not only the words that we're using, but in fact the words that we're not using, the things that we're holding back, the tone, the level of safety that it is to actually be expressive. I think about things like the quality of touch in the relationship uh, or even attention. And I think if I'm going to bring you a tea or a coffee, I can throw the mug down in contempt. Why didn't you get the coffee or the tea? Or I can put it in front of you, maybe even offer you a little home-baked biscuit if you're at my house, um, and know that I'm giving the best of what I can give right at this very moment. And I also think about the quality of touch of words. Yes the texture of the absence of words, the, the difference between cold silence and gentle stillness between two people. Oh, I'm just sitting with that. There's such mad, huge differences between the two, yet so subtle as well. And mistakable for each other. That's absolutely correct. My sense is listening is going to be incredibly important and allowing someone the space to open up is very important in loving bravely. Yes, 
and there are levels of listening. Yep. That stillness that we were just speaking of a moment ago allows for not only a listening to the other, but actually a deeper listening to yourself. Because sometimes we make noise to block out what we're saying to ourselves inside. Sometimes we're holding a conversation inside that we, with the other person, but actually it's just us talking to versions of ourselves inside. And because we are so focused on that conversation, we think we already know what this other person is going to say, what they're feeling, um, what they're thinking about us in a way. And so that deeper listening to ourselves actually makes it possible for us to offer more of ourselves. I think that's actually one of the qualities of good therapy in in the ability through we think that it's it's not only the therapist being able to listen closely but creating a space where we can begin to hear ourselves saying what we're saying listening to ourselves and very often what we begin to hear is that we are finding ourselves repeating again and again and again the same thing so getting back to that central idea about freedom the freedom that that I like to offer people is the freedom not to be themselves not to be who they think they already are not to believe that they have to do what they already know that they do in situations like this. What would it be like to pause and to sort of suspend that and to know you're hearing, this is what I'm like, this is the kind of person I am. And then offer, offer an invitation to yourself. And is that what I want to do now? Do I, you know, what kind of person do I want to be now? Uh, that that was just about to come out of my mouth because that's the essence of also who I was last week is different to who I am today. Things have happened, you know, I've listened to things on the radio, I've watched things on TV, I've read things. I have changed. Yes, yes. To make possible, you are you are free to change. That's yes. So when someone comes in and says, "I need to change," and then they become very fearful of changing, hmm. there's a lot of re um, reorganizing, reorganizing, just uh, freeing up internally to be able to actually feel free to change hmm. because there are so many messages that we received from people near and dear to us as well as to the world that say do not change change is not good that's too much you put a demand on other people it's inconvenient to change for other people mm. and it's inconvenient for yourself because you can you you've got your or you've got your life organized and things and then you find out actually this isn't where I want to be, or this isn't how I want to be doing this. this. This isn't the job that I want to have. This isn't the gender mm. <laughs> I find myself in. I mean, just a whole, a whole range of a whole range of experiences of ways that we experience ourselves being constrained rather than facilitated by the prior choices that we've made 
or the ways in which we've done things assuming that that's how it has to be because that's who we are. Well, thank you, Caroline, for coming to Canberra. I hope you've enjoyed your two or three days here in Canberra. What have you noticed? Oh, well, first of all, I want to thank you. It's been delightful to meet you and to meet some of the other folks at the AIDS Action Council. I have felt very, very welcomed and really excited to see all the things that you're doing. I didn't get a chance while I was here to go out and explore, but it was amazing to sort of look all around and to, at every direction to see these hills and expanses of gorgeous, gorgeous land. And the only time I got a chance to walk around really was on a Sunday afternoon, which of course is not the most active time in, in, a, in a city. You know, we often talk about, you know, in our community, we talk about gender diversity and sexuality diversity and things. I had this experience in Canberra of decade diversity. You know, I found myself looking around and wondering, what decade? Am I in? And then I felt very, it felt very contemporary. And then a moment later, it felt like I was in my parents' world and, you know, all parts in between. And that was just so interesting. So normally when we ask, where am I in a new place? Mm. I was thinking, when am I when I was here? <laughs> so well, that was lovely. What a wonderful uh, way to end this podcast. Again, thank you so much for coming, Carol Ann. And thanks so much for inviting me. My thanks to Carol Ann Allen. What an amazing conversation. Until next time, my name is Rodney. Check it out. For more information, visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle and community news. Check it out is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.